The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. this morning to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 uh, will be in verses 12 through 16 today. Uh, there's that phrase we've been looking at the last several weeks, gospel-centered. Uh, today we'll look at gospel-centered resolutions from Philippians 3. And if you're visiting with us and don't have a Bible, there, uh, there's a Bible in the pew in front of you. It'll be on page 981 in the Bible, and you are welcome to take that as a gift from us to you if you do not have a Bible. Well, you know, it's July, and a lot of things happen in July, or maybe they don't. It's hot, it's humid. Uh, I went to mow the lawn on Friday night at 7.30, thought that was a great idea, and it was actually the hottest part of the day. I had no idea. Uh, and barely made it through by God's grace, but here we are. But, you know, this time of year, a few years ago, there was a website that popped up. We don't usually talk about this in July, but this website popped up. Uh, it was a website called millionresolutions.com, millionresolutions.com. And basically what the picture will show you is that people posted all sorts of things about what they were going to be doing in July to be a resolution for the rest of the year. And in one day alone, the site was so popular, over 300,000 individual unique people visited the website and posted what they were going to do that the website crashed. But the, before it crashed, and it never came back, by the way, these were the top eight things. The top eight were weight loss, sticking to the budget, reducing debt, quality time with family, finding a soulmate, uh, uh, that one came up in number five, learning something new, volunteering to help others, get organized, and you'll never guess what number nine was. If someone knows how to do this, please teach me. The number nine was learn how to salsa dance. Does anyone <laughs> salsa dance in here? I, I, not too many hands are going up, so if you know how to do that, that would be great. Very noble goals, aren't they? Very worthy goals. It's, it's weird to think about New Year's resolutions. That was over six and a half months ago in January. But these are noble goals. But for a Christian, are these noble enough? What is the greatest goal as a Christian, as a Christian believer? Well, I, I tried to log in myself, but they wanted a few too many details, and it crashed a few years ago when I tried. But as a Christian, you know what your greatest resolution is? These are all great. But Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he says it this way. He says, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I think that's going to be up on the screen for you. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That is the greatest Christian resolution you can ever have. That wasn't in the top eight. wasn't in the top nine. wasn't in the top ten. But to know Jesus Christ, that is the epicenter of all Paul's life and all Paul's preaching. It's the epicenter of everything he does. He wanted to proclaim Jesus Christ. It wasn't being a professional. Your pastor's not a professional. We are pastors because the heartbeat that we have, the heartbeat every Christian should have, should be Jesus Christ. You know why Paul was so full of joy when he wrote Philippians? Because he was so full of Jesus Christ and the gospel. Friends, it's a resolution that surpasses all worthiness to know Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. Is that your goal? How many of y'all started a New Year's resolution? Just as a, a, an aside, anyone start a New Year's resolution this year? Three hands go up. You, you're smart. Uh, some of you, I know, you lose it on January 2nd after you started on December 31st. That's how it always goes. But spiritually, have you allowed Jesus Christ and the passion to know him to dominate 
every day of your life, even since January, everything in your home. And I think the big idea we get about this, the, the summary of this whole sermon could be said this way. The goal of the Christian life is that, you, is that Jesus would become more attractive and more desirable than the appeal and allure of sin. Think about that. If people were to do a, a post-death uh, autopsy of your heart, and let's say they had a special scanner and they could see what was imprinted on your heart, what would they see? Would they see M-E or would they see J-E-S-U-S? You see, because if there's an element of dissatisfaction, if there isn't an element of dissatisfaction, rather, with your Christian life, then can I say it this way? Christ isn't satisfied with your spiritual life. Yikes. Friends, what we're going to see is we're not supposed to settle for a second-rate Christianity, but our passion, our resolution, our gospel-centered resolution is to know Jesus Christ and to make him known because he's the most attractive and desirable thing this world can never offer to us, but only he can offer. So Paul gives us three ways we do this. He says, first, to do a gospel-centered resolution, you have to reach for the right master. We'll see that in verse 12. He also says you have to push towards the right mark. That's in verses 13 and 14. And then finally, you have to reach towards the right mind in verses 15 and 16. If you remember last week, we gave the resume of Paul and all that he did as a Jew. He was the, the Jew of Jews, the Hebrew of Hebrews, the Pharisee of Pharisees, the persecutor of the church. Paul was a very driven man. He was a type A personality. I know none of you are type A personalities. You don't drive anyone nuts with all your details, your organization. You just fly by the seat of your pants, right? Most of you all. But Paul wasn't like that. Paul was very much firm and set. And when he became a Christian, nothing changed. He, everything Paul did from morning to evening was about Jesus Christ. And so Paul took this, this gospel that he had, and he tried to make it the resolution of his life to live for Christ. He was driven by one thing, to know Jesus better today than he knew him yesterday. Friends, is that your resolution this morning? It's your desire, even if you've been going to church for years, even if you've been a Christian for years, or maybe you've just been coming, is to know Jesus Christ. That's the goal that we'll go look at today. If you'll stand with me, if you can, if you're able to, in honor of God's word, be in Philippians chapter 3, uh, verses 12 through 16. Verses 3, to 12 through 16, chapter 3. We're reading out the New American Standard this morning. Paul says, not that I've already attained it, the perfection that is, or have already become perfect, or your Bible may say mature, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that which I have been laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers, sisters, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forget what lies behind and reach forward what lies ahead. I press on towards the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, verse 15, as many are perfect or mature, have this attitude. And if anything in you have a different attitude or if anyone else has a different attitude, it can be said, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by the same standard to which we have attained. Paul had it all. He had the religion. He had the popularity. But he gave it all up for Christ. Because did you see verse 12? Because Christ laid hold of him. I pray that you would pray this week that Christ would lay hold of your life more than he ever has. No matter where you are spiritually at this time. Let's go before the Lord in prayer today. Father, we are so grateful for the many things that you bless us with in this country to make resolutions and good, noble goals. But Father, our one prayer for this church, our one prayer for uh, each other, our one prayer for our families, and wherever we are in life is that we would know you and know you better. Father, that your, your presence would be more attractive, 
and more desirable than anything Satan and the world can throw at us that may look appealing or alluring. But Father, we know it's like that apple. It looks good on the inside, but when you bite into it, it's just the worm that goes through the teeth and the rottenness. But Father, I thank you that everything you have is perfect and that when we seek you, we do not find anything lacking, but for Father, you are the fulfillment of everything we need. So Lord, help us to grow spiritually today as we study your word. We pray for your honor, your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Paul's first thing that he says is he's uh, reaching for the right master. That's his first resolution. He's going to reach for the right master. And he secondly says, you must press on to maturity. Let's read verses, uh, first part of verse 12 again. He says, not that I've already attained this or have already become perfect. Now, someone would say to Paul, Paul, you're a new creature. God has given you a new heart. He's given you a new mind. You have been united with Jesus Christ. Paul, you've been forgiven of your sin before God. God has given you through Christ his righteousness. You've been indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And Paul would look at that person and say, you know what? That's all very true, but I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect. I won't even say that because look back at verse 11. He says he won't be perfect until the day of the resurrection. It says, in order that I may attain resurrection from the dead. And you say, well, Darren, this is just Paul stating his beliefs. This is just what he thought, you know, I believe in Jesus, but I, I'm not sure I need to go as deep or as type A or as serious as Paul says. But that's exactly why Paul tells you his story. The point in his letter is because he wants to teach the Philippians, and by extension, each one of us today, and any Christian everywhere, about the nature of salvation and the true Christian life. This whole testimony that we read last week up until now is a statement that is true for every believer. He says you must press on to maturity. So that's what he says. He says, he goes on in verse 12. He says, but I press on to make it my own. The phrase translator here, I press on, is the Greek word dioko. You can impress your friends with that today on Facebook. You learned a new word today, dioko. Here's what it means. It means to run hard after. It means to follow after. It was used of hunters who uh, go after game, and they don't just stop when the deer runs by and they have to get out of their deer stand. They're jumping out of their deer stand, running down the road, trying to catch this deer. That's how serious this pursuit is. And what Paul says is that, look, he says, I used to persecute the church with the same fervency. Look back at verse 6. It says, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. That word zeal is the same word used here in the word press on. Paul says, look, I used to give everything to get rid of Christians. I used to give everything to stamp them out wherever they were. But Paul has followed hard now after Jesus Christ. His goal no longer is to kill Christians or kill the name of Christ, but it's to zealously, energetically, and abandon aggressively, seek out in every corner of his life the holiness, the growth, the maturity in Jesus Christ. Literally, Paul's aim is to know Christ better and better each day. And friends, that's the same true for us, isn't it? The Bible speaks about this in other parts, but here's what the first thing I want to tell you is this. Following Christ is neither private nor passive. Following Christ is neither private nor passive. What do I mean by that? You'll see it up on the screen here in just a second. But what I mean by that is simply this, is that when you follow Jesus Christ, it's not just you and your, Jesus got your own thing going. A lot of people in my generation like to think, well, as long as I can find a Bible in a nice spot and read my Bible, why do I need to join a church? We had a, a great members class yesterday. I want to thank the Higgins for leading that for us. And one thing we talked about is no matter where you are, be local and be vibrant and member of a local church. 
But Paul says, look, if you're going to follow Christ, it's going to take everything you are. It's going to take everything you are. In Hebrews 6, he says it this way. He says the Christian life is a pursuit. In 1 Timothy, Paul calls the fight of faith a fight. He tells uh, Timothy to fight the good fight of faith. In Philippians 2, if you remember this from a few weeks ago, he said, work out your own salvation with fear and with trembling. His whole point is this. If you're going to reach for the right master, you must press on towards maturity in Christ. But he goes on in the last part of verse 12, and he says this. He says, Christ will also protect your security. Love this phrase. If you are an underliner or a highlighter, often it will highlight things for you. That last part of verse 12 uh, says something like this. Because Christ has made me his own. Why does he press on? Why does he give everything to Jesus Christ? Because God has made him his own. Husbands, at one time, there was a place where you couldn't get enough of your, your, uh, your girlfriend or fiancé. Even to be at work, you were stumbling over your work projects because your thoughts were on your future wife or your girlfriend at the time. Now, that may have cooled off after a while, but do you remember those times if you're married? Remember that time when you, you, that you first held her hand and you thought you could just go like jump off a building and fly? You were, you were just on cloud nine. Now, you guys are looking at me like this has never happened to you before. You know this is true. How much more has Paul felt this with Jesus Christ? Because God has taken his hand, so to speak, his whole life, and made him his own. And the reason that Paul says, press on, the reason he says this is because Christ is his security. Nothing that happens in this life goes away because Christ has made him his own. Friends, if the Lord has never removed your heart of stone and given you a heart of flesh, if the Lord has never breathed in you, so to speak, the divine breath of the Holy Spirit convicting you of sin and bringing you to Christ, then you can't understand anything of what Paul's talking about. If you don't try to make progress in the Christian race, it's because you can't make progress in the Christian race. You have to be a Christian. If you're here today and you do not know Jesus Christ, you must know that he died for your sin. He resurrected. He took all the wrath of God for your sin. That's how you start the Christian life. Receive it by turning from your sin and accepting Christ as Savior. But Paul says this. He says, don't waste your life. He says, don't waste your life. Don't waste your life. You'll see under B there that it says, he says, Christ is your security. He says, don't waste your life. Why would Paul say that? Because Paul says this very thing because God has called him out for one purpose. Let me read you Romans 8, 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. Paul's goal in life is to live for Christ for one reason, because God saved him. What do you do at work? Why do you do the things you do every day as a Christian? Because God saved you. Husband, why do you love your wife? Because Christ died for your sin. Wife, why do you biblically, not worldly, but biblically submit to your husband, as the Bible says? Because Christ died for your sin. Child, why do you follow your parents, even when they tell you to take out the trash? Because Christ died for your sin. And Paul says, my purpose, my security, my reaching for the master starts with that very thing. You know, I can't think of anything more conforming to the image of God's Son living out the passion than this next picture I'm going to show you. It's of North Centennial Island. Has anyone ever heard of this before? It was out on Facebook this week. Some of you may have seen it. It's, uh, it's a paradise. It really is. It's beaches. It's great beaches. It has coral reefs. It has trees that you can go explore. But there's one problem. There's 600 headhunters there that if you get on there, they will take your head, literally. Sounds like a place you want to book for your next vacation, right? As the article explained this week, this island has been inhabited by thousands of years by the same group of people. And uh, about 10 years ago, two fishermen got drunk off the coast of India, where it's at, 
and they ended up landing on this island. They didn't live to see the next day. The helicopter came the next day to pick out their bodies, and they started shooting arrows at them. So the Indian government just said, look, we're going to leave them alone. They're done. But a friend on Facebook asked this very intriguing question. He said, look, I'm not going to go vacation there. But he said, I've asked myself this week, Lord, would I go there to share the gospel? Or am I too comfortable in my Christianity to do that? That really hits to the heart of it, doesn't it? You know, it's hard. We think about those things as great missionary endeavors. But friends, let me tell you, Paul was living a, a very missionary-centered life. But you are no less a missionary to going to this island than you are in the very places that you are right now. Do you know that the call in your life is not to live out your work, your family, for your purposes, but it's for Christ's purposes? Have you prayed this week how God might use your everyday life? If you want a book recommendation, many of you have read this book, but John Piper wrote a great book many years ago called Don't Waste Your Life. Anyone ever read that before? No, no one has read this. You can find it online. Good for $2. It's super good. He says this about Christianity and what Paul's saying from this passage. He says, dear friend, don't waste your Christian life. Don't waste your life enslaved to fleeing gratifications of sexual immorality or pornography. Don't waste your life enslaved to the false promises of drugs and alcohol. Don't waste your life enslaved to the fear of man when the fear of God is the fountain of all blessedness. And don't waste your life enslaved to an overinflated view of yourself. Because when God looks upon you, he looks for those who are humble and contrite in spirit. Live your Christian life, he says, to the fullest potential because God gave his life for you. Friends, that's what Paul was all about. He says, look, I am not perfect. I'm, I'm searching for it. I'm going for it. But I'm reaching for the master. But I'm doing it because he gave his life for us. Have you lived out that gospel this week? That's his first prayer. Let's go on to point number two. Paul says, not only reach for the right master, he says, push towards the right mark. Look back at verses 13 and 14, if you will, in your Bibles. It's, he says, brothers, I don't regard myself as laying hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward toward what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal, the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. Paul's first sub-point, I think, here is he refuses to look backwards. He refuses to look backwards. Paul, he says, he repeats kind of what he said in verse 12. He, he just says it again. But he does it with such great personal attention. You know, isn't it great when someone takes that extra care to care for you? You can tell the difference between a sincere person and someone who's just trying to get through another thing. But he says, it's almost like he grabs the Philippians by their shoulders. He says, look, I really mean this. I don't think of myself as having laid hold of it yet. I'm not perfect, Philippians. I haven't gotten there. He's absolutely clear. He does not want to be misunderstood here. Paul is saying that perfection is to be pursued in this life. But here's the catch. You will never be perfect in this life. Many of you know the name John Wesley. That's an old name, 1700s. Uh, Methodism came out of it. If you know Methodist churches, John Wesley was their founder. Uh, Wesley taught something otherwise than what Paul said. He believed in a thing called entire sanctification, in which you could be so renewed in your image of God that someday you could be perfect this side of heaven and never struggle with sin again. And this is still taught in a lot of churches and they believe that somehow the Holy Spirit catapults you to a perfect state that even if you live 50 more years on this earth, that you never sin again. Now, I don't know about you, but I probably sinned probably 100 times in the church this morning in things I thought, said, did, didn't do, whatever. You, you agree with me on this? Have you lived a perfect life in the last day? Go home today and try and do five minutes without trying to think a bad thought or not trying to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
Friends, this is why we study Scripture as it is, because it teaches us the truth. This text deals a death blow to this, this blasphemous heir. After all his missionary labors, after 30 years as a Christian, Paul says, look, he says, I'm not looking backwards, but I know I'm not perfect even right now. He says, I haven't attained it or become perfect. But I think what Paul's trying to communicate to us is this, is that a true Christian is sensitive to sin. Let me say that again. A true Christian is sensitive to sin. Paul doesn't say he's perfect, but he does say that a godlier person has a greater awareness and sensitivity to their sin. A person who is godly, whose resolution is to know Christ, is trained by the word of God and seeks to know him at all costs. And do you know what that result is? When the sin comes along, someone who's set on knowing Christ is more likely to achieve victory when the temptation comes. And that's what Paul says he's after. Friends, we need to be aware and sensitive to sin and and pray that God would keep us from sin. Please do not believe that you can be perfect this side of heaven. You say, How, where else do you get that from? Go read Romans 7. Paul said, wretched man that I am. Paul knows the length of his perfection is in Christ. But Paul also says, I don't care what's happening behind me. I'm pushing forward because I know Christ is worthy of me trying to get there. And only then, when we do that, will we have a clear picture of the race set before us. So that's what he says. He reaches forward. He forgets the past, and he says, one thing I do. Not many things, not multiple things. One thing he does to be a resolute to Christ. I forget what lies behind, and I strain forward to what lies ahead. He tells us the one thing is characterized by two activities. He says, forget what lies behind. Forget what lies behind. I can remember running in Smithville, uh, Missouri, in the late 90s in junior high track, uh, there is a good man. This is going to go online. He's still a good friend of mine. Cody Boswell was a uh, fast runner. We, I was from Plattsburgh. He was from Smithville. We would just go back and forth, winning races in junior high track, running sub-five-minute miles, very fast for our time. But it was conference meet at his home turf. We had run four laps or three-and-a-half laps. It was the last 200 meters of the race. Cody was out of gas. He was out of gas. I was waiting patiently, ready to overtake him. That last turn, I come around that corner, and I passed him, and you know the one mistake that I did? I looked back, and you know what happened after that? My shoe came untied. You know what happened after that? My shoe went flying off. You know what happened after that? Cody Boswell ran to win the conference championship. I'll never forget it from then on out. You know, a runner doesn't look back over his shoulder, does he? Because what happens? Loses focus on the goal. He loses focus on the goal. The moment you do that is the moment that you lose all hope in winning that race. And Paul says that the Christian runner is one of the same thing. You forget what lies behind. He's not discouraged or incapacitated or cut down by his past failures or what other people did to him in the past. Neither does he seek to live on his past successes. He doesn't say, you know, 50 years ago we did this so well. He's focused right now on the future because he knows both of those thoughts are traps. On one hand, we have many people, and perhaps you're here today, that never get over the guilt of the past. Paul struggled with this, be honest with you. You read his letters, he still talks about how he, he hurts for the fact that he, he gave the orders to kill Christians. But sins you've committed years earlier may be paralyzing your growth to be resolute to follow Christ with all you have. You may say, how could God ever forgive me for that sin? I mean, it would have just been one thing if I wasn't a Christian or, uh, you know, but I was a believer and I did some bad things or I was a non-Christian and I did some terrible things. No, I just have to live the reality then, you may say, that I'm just a second-class Christian. I'll never be able to look like Paul did. 
Friend, if that's where you're at today, let me tell you this. Rather than looking to Christ, you're looking towards yourself. Can I encourage you as your pastor to look towards the gospel of Jesus Christ? You were hopelessly lost one day, but Christ saved you from your sin. That is the gospel. Don't worry what people did to you in the past. Pray. Give God the glory that he forgives everything that you have done. Yes, you will struggle with guilt at times. Yes, you will have trouble forgiving people in the past, but look to Christ. He's a gracious Savior, and he will save you from those past sins and give you the motivation for the future. And what does Paul do with his past? He turns it positively. He says, I'm done with the past. I'm going forward. The word here for reaching forward is an extremely vivid word. It's like stretching a muscle. Some of you have done this before. It's like stretching a muscle to where you know if you stretch just a little bit farther, you're going to pop something out of alignment. That's kind of what the word means here. It means that you're, you're reaching to the extent that within an inch, you're going to give out your body to what it's there. So Paul is reaching with everything he has outside of breaking his body down to know Christ. And all he says, and if I could summarize it, it's this way. It's that our salvation is not just salvation, friends, from future hell and punishment. But can I be honest with you? Our gospel salvation is salvation from the hell of guilt, of shame, and of bondage today. Do you believe that God can forgive your past? Say amen. Amen. That is maximum effort. And Paul says, look, if I'm going to do this thing of pushing towards the right master, I have to, have to do this thing. He says, not only am I reaching, I'm just not going to say, oh, I'm going to do it. He has to recommit himself to this goal. Look at verse 14. Recommit to rise upward, he says. Verse 14, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Church, we are to make every effort as we run this race of the Christian life. We don't pursue knowing holy God just to know a holy God or pursue holiness just for holiness. We do it because we have the treasure of the gospel of everything that we do. You know, I've never met someone, if a, just pretend a big uh, treasure chest fell in your yard. I don't think most of you, if it was staying there for the rest of your life, would go out and just take a few little coins. I've got my share. I'm good. Just take a gold coin. Hey, there's a whole treasure chest. No, you would be, you'd be out there with buckets, taking your wheelbarrow. You'd some of you would take your shop back because you don't want to do it yourself. You just got to <laughs> put your shop back out there. But you would do everything you could to follow after to get that treasure. And Christian, if your attitude towards holiness and growing in Christ has been, well, well, why bother? Paul said, I can't be perfect. He wasn't perfect. Why try to be like Christ? Maybe you've never given your eyes truly to the treasure that you have in Jesus Christ. You see, because this word goal, he says in verse 14, is a word, it's the Greek word. I'll give you another one, skopos. It's a, it's a, it's a target. It's a target. It's an archer's bullseye. Some of you are archers, and you can shoot those bullseye. It's the runner keeping his eyes on the prize. It's Rocky, if you want to use the eye of the tiger analogy. It's him keeping the eyes of beating, uh, I don't even remember, the, uh, the Russian guy and all those other guys he fought. It, it's, it's the fact that no matter what happens in your life, you are focused on that goal. No matter what your past says about you, Christ has forgiven you and you are focused to know him more because he's the one that's forgiven you. People may not have forgiven you. You may not have forgiven people, but Christ has forgiven you. And something I think we need to remember today is sometimes we try so hard. It's like people with resolutions. They just want to go to the deep end. I want to run a marathon. Well, have you run down to the mailbox in the last week? No, I haven't. Well, don't do that. that that's called death. Don't do that. You need to start with little steps. Friends, I think the way we need to remember today is this. The way to grow in Christ is to obey what you know. 
The way to grow is to obey what you know. Look, I'm not against deeper Bible study. I'm not against going deeper. You should. You should study Christ because he's limitless. You'll never exhaust his resources. But we study and we live out what we know. Sometimes we think, well, if I just could be as smart as that person or, or, or whatever. Friends, you have enough knowledge from all the sermons and Bible studies over the years, many of you, that you have enough knowledge to live out lifetime upon lifetime. Are you faithful with the small things? Peter said that a Christian who longs for pure milk of the word is one that's growing in Jesus Christ. Now, I think Mark Twain summed it up with a story I heard about him. Uh, this quote has nothing to do with Mark Twain, but uh, he famously said, it's better uh, to keep your mouth closed and to people think you're a fool rather than open your mouth and uh, uh, leave no doubt about it. Uh, so if you, I'm that way. Uh, I'll admit that. But Mark Twain had a knack for just turning things on their its head. And there's a true story told about Mark Twain and a Mormon. You've heard this one before. Uh, Mormon, he was actually in uh, northeast Missouri at the time, and a polygamist came through. A polygamist person, of course, believes in multiple wives. And it was not illegal in the United States until about 1890, and this was before that time. And the Mormon was arguing with Mark Twain all the reasons that he should have multiple wives. And Mark Twain really couldn't debate him. He really had no answer. He, okay, that makes sense. And finally, the man looked at Mark Twain. He said, Twain, tell me one scripture that rebukes this thing about having multiple wives. Mark Twain really thought about this for a minute. And then he opened up his Bible to Luke 16, 13. He said, sir, no man can serve two masters. <laughs> Let that one sink in for just a second. Look, for, it's so true, isn't it? We laugh at that. I love Mark Twain. He just, like, he just turns things on its head. But friends, we, as we reach out to Christ, that same thing is true. You don't have multiple wives, but I bet you have multiple things in your life that take your attention away, don't they? Things that cause you to not seek Christ the way you should. Look, I'm not saying, not saying you should throw away your TV, but let me be honest. There's some things on there you need to throw away. Amen? I'm not saying you should throw away the internet, but there are some things on there you shouldn't look up. I'm not saying you shouldn't go see a movie. I'm not saying those things. But what I am saying is that you can't serve two masters. And if you're pushing towards the right mark in Christ, you can't serve God and whatever else is out there. We are called to live our life with one end inside, and that is the glory of God. A passive approach to money, your time, your talent, your opportunities is no better than a person who says, well, that doesn't fit my eyes. don't want to do that. Friends, are you praying this week that the goals for this church, are you praying for us? Pray for your future youth pastor, that that person would have this goal in mind, that he would know nothing among him except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Would you pray that for Judy and myself in the office as we do the things that keep things going through the week? Would you pray that for your Sunday school teachers? Would you pray that we would have the mark that nothing else matters about serving the master? Friends, that's how we will grow in Christ. That's how we'll grow as a church in Christ. That's how we push towards the right mark. Forget what's behind and going forward to what's ahead. But number three, and lastly, he says this. He says, reach towards the right mind, verses 15 and 16. Paul says, first off, let us think of Christ, verse 15. I'll read it for you. He says, let us therefore, as many are perfect, or that word mature again, have this attitude, and if anything or anyone of you have a different attitude, God will reveal that to him also. And you say, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, didn't Paul just finish telling us in no uncertain terms that he is not perfect? Nobody's perfect. Oh, but Paul was a Mark Twain in a lot of senses. He was sarcastic, and sarcasm has 
don't be sarcastic to the end, but sometimes the holy sarcasm gets the point across. Paul is speaking to false teachers in Philippi who taught that you could be perfect, that if you just kept the law and had a little Jesus sprinkled in, that you might be perfect. He's doing a wordplay here, folks. Basically, he says, you want to know who the perfect are? They're the ones who realize they're not perfect. You want to know who the perfect are? They're the ones who realize they're not perfect. He says, let us, as many as are perfect. It's a wordplay. He's being sarcastic about the impossibility of perfection. But he says it this way. But the need to grow in Jesus Christ. That's why he says, let those of us who are perfect or mature think this way. Not think that you're perfect, but know that the only way to grow is through thinking about Christ to think this way. Paul doesn't only mean it, though, as a sarcastic dig or a, a, a dive into these false teachers. He means it as a secure, sincere call to us to think this way. The Greek word here means this complete ending, the growth in Christ. Friend, have you prayed that you would think like Christ? Paul tells us in other places to have the mind of Christ. I think the application here is this, is the one who thinks lightly of sin will also think lightly of the Savior. The one who thinks lightly of sin will also think lightly of the Savior. Can I ask you this morning, would you consider yourself to be a mature Christian? Would you sign a card that says, yes, I, I'm a mature Christian? But can I also ask you this, and I had to ask myself in preparation for the sermon is, Darren, do you have a sober self-assessment of your Christian life? You know, sometimes it's so easy, especially in America, that we seem to think we have this thing with Jesus and me going that, man, I've got more Jesus than this person, so I must be better than them. Or this church has more of Jesus in them, so they must be better than this church. I am so grateful that sinners are welcome here, but sin never is, aren't you? Aren't you grateful? Because, friends, we are all sinners at the foot of the cross in need of grace daily. But can I ask you, do you have a sober self-assessment of yourself? Do you think like Christ? Do you forget what lies behind and strain forward to what lies ahead? Do you have a solid foundation that Christ is yours? Let's be honest here. Paul was a realist. He understood exactly what was going on. Like any reasonable pastor, he knew that not everyone was going to agree with him. Did you know that? Did you know that? I know, I know. The, the best 20 minutes you have after the sermon is, man, he said this. Good. Diagnose these sermons. Tear them apart. Teach me. I teach you. It's a, it's a group effort here, folks. It is. But Paul was under no illusions. He knew there might not be too many who would be so bold to claim they're perfect. But there are many of in that church at Philippi, there are many in our church here at Tower View or any church who would become complacent, though, and say, why try? Or, Paul, I'm doing okay. I'm doing all right. I've made some good progress. Paul, you should have seen me in 1997. Man, I was on fire for Jesus. I went to this conference, Paul, and you know what? They gave me some tools, and I was on fire for Jesus for two weeks, and then after that, it just kind of fizzled. Youth who are going to camp today, can I say a special word to you? Be very careful you don't get on the camp high. Don't let the camp high rule your week. Because you know what? You're going to go back to everyday life. And you're going to say, man, if I just had these lights or I just had this guitar or I just had this, this really passionate speaker that has bigger muscles than our pastor and he's funny jokes and all this stuff. Christians, don't get caught up on the little dangly things. Get caught up on Jesus Christ. Think about Christ. And what Paul says here, he says in verse 15, if anyone has a different attitude or anything a different attitude, God will reveal that to you also. So it doesn't mean Jesus is going to show up in your mirror in the bathroom, as some people claim. But what I mean is this. As you study his word daily, as you read his word, God's going to open your heart by the Spirit to illuminate his word to your hearts. 
Some of you, God will teach you this mature Christian all about Jesus' way by the faithful influence of a godly teacher or a sister or a brother in Christ who, whose walk you look to. But honestly, most of the way that we grow in Christ is when Christ disciplines us, isn't it? Hebrews 12 said that those who God disciplines are legitimate children of his, is, is a loose translation. If you're not disciplined by God, God lets you just continue on in your sin for year after year after year. Romans 1 would say he might have given you over to that sin. Friends, aren't you grateful that, like a good father, that God disciplines us? Because how do we learn often, most times? If I were to ask you that question, most of you would say you learn through the most difficult times of your life. Would you agree with that? Paul says, think much about Christ, because the mature way is the way that you press into him. Last thing is this. He says in verse 16, read that for you again. He says, however, let us keep living the same standard to which we have attained. No matter what happens, Paul says, the case is you have to keep living up to that same standard. You didn't live for Jesus for a year or two. You didn't try him out for a little while. If anyone ever tries to tell you, they, man, I, I, just, I, I tried Christianity once, and you know what? It didn't work for me. Well, friends, they don't have, they don't have Jesus of the Bible, amen? They have something of their own making, because if you have Jesus of the Bible as he's taught and preached and everything, it's going to completely turn you inside out and upside down. But let me say it this way. It is so much easier a thing to walk an aisle on a Sunday morning than it is to take up a cross on a daily basis. Would you agree with that? Well, friends, we're not against an altar call. Please don't hear me. We have one every week. Except the first three weeks when I forgot and I was a new pastor and you gave me a lot of grace in that. Thank you. But, you know, we, we have you walked out. If you have a need after service, come see me. We're here for that. But walking an aisle does not make you more a Christian than just saying, I tried Jesus once. The way that you know Christ is by daily keeping that standard up, by praying, Lord, look, I had a tough day yesterday, Lord, but give me the strength for today. Lord, I had a, a, a tough time at work, and people ridiculed me for my faith, but Lord, my standard is you. I'm not perfect, Lord, but help me in my unbelief. Like the man who cried out, Lord, I believe, help me in my unbelief. That's the prize he's searching for. Paul says, press on, reach forward, keep running, all according to God's word. And I pray this last story will be our prayer for our church and for you. There was an old pastor many years ago, many, long before any of you were born. Uh, Jack, uh, if Jack were here, I'd give him a, a rib about this, because uh, we always talk about how old and young we are and the difference, but Jack even wasn't alive at this time, and, and uh, we laugh about those things. But his name was Dr. John Getty. He was a missionary to the New Hebrus Islands from 1848 to 1872. He was a Presbyterian minister who had a passion for seeing native people who didn't know Christ come to know Jesus Christ. And his godly life was summarized by the headstone that you see above you. I couldn't zoom in on it enough, but this is what it says. It says, in memory of John Getty, Dr. John Getty, born in Scotland in 1815, minister in Prince Edward Island for seven years, minister to Nova Scotia for 24 years, but minister in the New Hebrides Islands from 1848 into 1872. When he arrived, there were no Christians here. But when he left in 1872, there were no non-Christians What a testimony to leave, isn't that? Friends, Paul is talking about leaving his former life as a Jew. And he says it's all about Jesus. That's his resolution. Let me just say something about the heartbeat of our church. Is if we want to think like Jesus and walk like Jesus, we have to have a heart for the people that don't know Jesus. Would you agree with that? Friends, missions matters because God is a missionary God. We must be missionary people. From Genesis to Revelation, we see God's central promise is that he would send a Savior and that Savior would win nations unto himself. 
And yet there are almost 2 billion plus people in this world, right, more than that, who have little or no access to the gospel. They don't have churches, Bibles. They walk for years without hearing the name of Christ. Would you pray today for missionaries? Like we have one who's serving in the Middle East right now. I won't say his name publicly. We have one who's serving in Africa right now, we know. We have Luke Weir who's serving in, I believe they're in Poland now, Deb. I, I forget offhand that he's in Poland. We have several people. But do you realize you have an opportunity this Saturday to pray for what God would do through this church to reach our area, Grace Moore, Randolph, and this area with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Friends, God's a missionary God. Paul understood that. That's why he pressed forward. Paul could have turned in his card, look, I got the flu shot. I'm not going to hell. I'm giving up, giving my life to Christ. But no, Paul pushed on in every area of his life so that all people without Christ would know him, that those who don't know Christ would hear the gospel that Jesus loved them. Our lives should be lived in such a way, church, that as we contribute to this triumphal march that Paul talks about, that we draw people by his spirit into worship of who he is. Is that your prayer today? Paul would give anything for that. Let me give you the big idea one more time. Hope you get this. Pray this for your life this week. The goal of the Christian life is that Jesus would become more attractive and desirable than the appeal and allure of sin. Would you pray that for your church? Would you pray that for me, your pastor, this week? Would you pray that for your church? If you're here today and you don't know Christ, we study this. Thank you again, Higgins, for leading our small group, our, our, our membership class. If you're not a Christian here today, four things. There's a God. He perfectly created you. He gave you perfect fellowship. But a guy named Adam, many years ago, messed it all up. Heard someone once say, well, if I, if Adam, if I was there, I would never have done that. Oh, contraire, my friend, you would have. You would have. Trust me. You would have. And we broke that perfect fellowship. God is holy. He's perfect. He, he cannot have sin in his presence. And that fellowship was broken. But, and from then on out, man has been born into sin. We hate God to our core. We're rebels. There's nothing good in us, Romans tells us. That's the, that's the bad part. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. But the other part of it is God, man, Christ came. Fully God, fully man. Lived a perfect life. Died under the wrath of God. Uh, fulfilled the law gave his life for a ransom for many so that you could be saved. He rose again on the third day to conquer death once for all and ascended on high that we may have. And he's coming again. So you have to make a response. That's the fourth. God, man, Christ, response. The response is this. It's not a magical prayer. I've told you that before. I don't have a sinner's prayer for you to pray. It's simply this, what Jesus said. Repent, turn around, and believe the gospel. Believe that he saved you. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be, church, what? Saved. That's the gospel message 101. So at the heart, a man believes and is justified, and you can read it in Romans 10, 9, and 10. So that's your call today. I'll be here up front afterwards, but Christian, can I ask you this question? If what's on the screen, your prayer this week, it was for Paul, and that's what he said. Let's go to the Lord in prayer today. Father, I thank you so much because I often think of the sins I have. Well, Father, they're ever before me because I sin every day, but Lord, I, I pray that as Paul told the Philippians, that as he personally experienced it, he would forget everything behind. As hard as that was, even the guilt that comes at times, and remember that, Father, you are the one true God, that you are more desirable and attractable than anything else in this world. Father, we're so grateful. Thank you for all the church members we have. We pray for great wisdom for whatever situations are before us. Lord, may we leave here inspired by your spirit to live holy lives to you, to be back in the Bible study, to, to read and pray through the week, to share our faith, to truly fellowship, not just about sports or weather, but about what you're doing in our lives, to 
to, to do all those things, Lord, for your honor and glory. Thank you so much for this church. That's our goal. That's our aim. Would you bless that effort, Lord, as we seek that? Father, we pray for anyone here without Christ. Father, we thank you that you so love the world that you gave your son for them, that uh, whoever believes in your son, Lord, will not perish but have eternal life. Thank you for that. Father, we are so grateful here today. Lord, I pray we don't leave with a guilt trip, but we leave with the, 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 the strength and the joy, knowing that whatever lies behind us, whatever is before us, that you have called us to be your own, and you are strength and security. Thank you for that, Lord. We are grateful today, and we pray this in Jesus' name. If you are not a member here and are thinking about joining or have a prayer need or would like to know more about Christ, I'll be down here front. Again, this, this is, walking an aisle does not save you. Becoming a church member does not save you. Only Christ does those things. But if you're not a Christian here today, you want to talk or set a time, be more than happy to do that. Not here to beat you over the head, not here to pile drive you to the ground. Uh, we are here to talk to you about the greatest need in Jesus Christ. If you'll stand with us, uh, Mark's going to lead us as we close out. If you have a need, 